If you have your Bible, and I hope, pray, and encourage that you do, I would like to invite you to open to Luke 24, which our sweet Avery just read for us a few moments ago. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 12. Now, I kind of want to help you understand where I'm heading in this sermon uh, as we get ready to dive into the resurrection text. So, this is what happened. I'll, I'll kind of give it to you in a form of a story. Uh, some of you in this church, you've heard this story before, but for any of you that are guests, I just want to share it with you as well, so you can kind to see how I built out my sermon today. And the reason is because we're going to do something a little differently. Normally, at Center Church Brenham, we preach book by book, verse by verse. So we just take a book of the Bible and we just pick it apart verse by verse. Right now, we are going through the study of Hebrews. But today, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're still going to look at a passage of Scripture verse by verse. But I've actually changed it a little bit, and this is how I've changed it. So many years ago, my wife and I were living in Anderson, South Carolina, uh, I was serving at a church in Anderson, South Carolina, and we had, I don't know, two or three children at the time. And so I came to Katie, my wife, and I said, hey, I have the perfect date night for us scheduled for Friday. So don't plan anything. You're going to be amazed at this date night that I have planned. I've already got a babysitter. It's great. So Friday rolls around. Katie is super excited. You know, her husband's taking her on a date. We don't have any children because we got the babysitter all squared away. And so we began to drive into Greenville. So Greenville is about a 45, 50 minute drive from Anderson, South Carolina. And at that point in time, Greenville was the fourth fastest growing city in the nation. And it was blowing up. Uh, In fact, I have a friend that recently, about a year ago, planted a church in Greenville. It was getting so big. And so we're driving and I can see Katie's excited. Like downtown Greenville is beautiful. I mean, this is South Carolina. They have four seasons. This isn't Texas where it's hot, cold, and then humid every other day of the week, okay? Or every day of the week. Like this was the beautiful seasons. And so I'm like, all right, baby, I'm taking you on a date. So she's thinking probably downtown. There was a nice little restaurant downtown called Smoke in the Water that we love to go sit at right on the river. But I just kept driving through downtown. And I could see Katie starting to stir in her seat a little bit. She's like, where are you taking me? But then you should have seen her eyes. When I pulled into a church parking lot, she was like, do you know the concept of a date night? And I'm like, you're going to love this. So I said, let's go. We parked in the church, First Baptist Taylor's, and we get out and we walk into the sanctuary. And then at that moment, she realized why I was so excited about this date night. On the stage steps my man, Pastor John Piper. Uh, If you know me, he is one of my favorite all-time preachers and theologians. And Piper steps on stage. And I'm like, "Ah, look, it's John Piper, Katie. She's like, yes. He stands up on stage and he reads Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, where Jesus says to his disciples, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. When John Piper finished reading that, he looks up at the audience and he says, for the next 50 minutes, I'm going to share with you 10 ways that Jesus has been given all authority on heaven and earth. I was like, best date night ever. Now, my wife may not share in that same enthusiasm for what a date night should be. So today, I was like, you know what? In light of that, I was like, this would be a great opportunity to share the reasons why we as Christians believe in the resurrection. So I sat down this week and I began to pour over the New Testament, mainly focusing on the Gospels, Romans and 1 Corinthians. And I came up with 15 reasons why I believe in the resurrection. So let's get started with point one. I'm just kidding. I narrowed them down for you. 
I know some of you are like, ah, oh, this is going to be a long-winded sermon, all right? Just kidding. I narrowed them down for you, and I narrowed them down into three reasons why I believe in the resurrection that come from Luke 24, the text that Avery just read for us a few moments ago. So here's what I want you to take away from my sermon today. Three reasons why I believe in the resurrection and why you should too. There you go. That's what we're going to take away. I'm going to share with you three biblical reasons, and then I want you to, at the end of this, Agree with them based off of scripture. And then I'm going to show you how the resurrection, in fact, impacts our lives. For those of you who are not believers, how it will impact your life. But for those of you who are believers, the way that it has impacted your life. Now, I want to say something here from the beginning. I understand that we have Easter Sunday is kind of a bigger Sunday, different Sunday. We have a lot of guests that come. And so what I want to do is I want to I want to begin kind of with where I'm headed And the authority, the body of knowledge that I hold to, to argue my three reasons why I believe in the resurrection. And some of you might be sitting here and you might be thinking, well, I don't believe in the Bible. I don't believe in its truthfulness. I don't believe it's authority. I don't believe that it's the word of God. And so this is what I want you to do. I want you to be honest and and, and valid today or honest. And I want you to say, let's let the Bible speak for itself. Anybody that wants to disprove the Bible, they have to obviously begin with the idea that the Bible must first and foremost speak for itself. And what I believe is if you set out on that mission or on that task to disprove the Bible, probably what's going to happen to you, which happens to so many people who try to set out to disprove the, 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 the Bible, is that they actually get saved and they become some of the best apologists that we ever have on the planet. So my challenge to you is I'll challenge you. Go bring your doubts to the scriptures. Go and bring your questions to the scriptures and watch what God does. One of my favorite all-time stories is that of Augustine. Augustine was an early church father. He's a man that I still read. We read to this day. He wrote some fantastic works and sermons. He was a theologian, a pastor, and one of the greatest leaders of all time in the Christian faith. But when Augustine was wrestling, deciding whether or not he was going to believe in this Jesus or not, Augustine was really struggling because he had some immoral sins in his life that he was really holding on to and not willing to let go. So one day, as he's struggling and wrestling with God, he cries out. And in that moment, he hears a voice from across the fence. It's a little child saying, pick it up, read it, pick it up, read it, pick it up, read it, read it. Augustine runs to his Bible and he picks up the Bible and he begins to read and he, the God takes him to Romans 13, 13. And in that moment, Augustine put his full trust and faith in Jesus. One sentence, one verse in scripture changed his life. And I believe that the power of the word of God, empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, could do the same for you today. Listen to Augustine's confession as he writes this in his journal for us to still read today he says this after he read romans 13 13 i wanted to read no further nor did i need to for instantly as the sentence ended there was infused in my heart something like the light of full certainty and all the gloom of doubt vanished away I want you to know this morning that if you're here today and you're questioning the Christian faith or the word, I want you to know that my prayer for you all week has been that God would remove the gloom of doubt, that it would vanish away. And today you would walk out of here a new person. And the reason that you're going to walk out of here a new person is because the tomb is empty. Now, if you're sitting here thinking to yourself, it's only going to be an evangelistic sermon. I want to talk to you, too, as a believer. 
You see, what I want to do for you today as a believer is when you go home or when you go to lunch, and you all, all, you know, what happens when you go to lunch, right? You're like, well, what did you think about the sermon? Oh, what did you think about the sermon? And I know how it goes. Because my wife will hear that about a hundred times. What did you think about my sermon? What did you think about my sermon? What did you think about, like really, what did you think about my sermon? She said, for the hundredth time, I told you it was decent. <laughs> but here's my prayer for you. I'm just kidding. She's, she's very encouraging wife. She says they're fantastic. And that sounded really arrogant, so remove that. Can we edit that in the video? What I pray would happen to you this morning is that I pray that God would ignite your heart. That you would be like the two disciples on their way to Emmaus. And as the disciples are walking on the way to Emmaus, they meet the resurrected Jesus. And the Bible says in Luke 24 that he began with Moses and all the prophets and he interpreted them to, in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And when they finally realized it was Jesus, he vanished from sight And so this is what I hope that you all say as you walk out of here. The same words that these disciples said when they met the resurrected Jesus on the way to Emmaus. This is what I pray you say when somebody asks you that question. What did you think about that sermon today? Then I want you to say, honestly, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? While he opened to us the scriptures. Now that he there is not me. That he is Jesus through the power of his spirit. So I want to walk, want you to walk out of here with your, with your faith ignited and on fire for Jesus. So with that, let's move into my very first reason. Reason number one, that I believe the resurrection is true and why you should too is this. If you're taking notes, reason one, Jesus told us three times that he was going to die and on the third day rise again. Jesus told us three times That he was going to die and on the third day rise again. You can see this in Matthew 16. You can see this in Matthew 17 and Matthew 20. You can see this throughout the gospel. Jesus foretells of his death and resurrection three times. So you might be thinking to yourself, what did he exactly say? So, for example, in Matthew 17, verses 22 to 23, which is on the board for you. This is what Jesus told his disciples three times before he did it. He said, the son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. And they will kill him. Here it is. And he will be raised on the third day. Now some of you might think, well, that's not really a big deal or a reason. Well, it is a big deal because as we're going to see in Luke 24, he did it. It happened. Now I don't know if you're aware of this, but um, March Madness just ended, right? So if you're aware of their March Madness basketball, there's the big tournament, and everybody likes to fill out brackets. Okay? Everybody fills out brackets. Do you know the likelihood of predicting a perfect bracket? The perfect bracket. I found out for you. One and 9.2 quintillions of a chance. And I had to look it up. I'm like, is quintillion even a real number? That's like when your kid says, can I get a bajillion marshmallows? Like, yeah, it's a, like, no, it really is a 9.2 quintillion chances. That's if you want to see it in number form, that's nine, two, two, three, three, seven, two, zero, three, six, eight, five, four, seven, seven, five, eight, zero, eight of a chance of getting a perfect bracket. In fact, you have a better chance of going to Will of Fortune and winning a million dollars, which is one in eight thousand chance. Or you can go on to the Price is Right and play Plinko, Pinko, 
Plinko, I missed an L, which is a 1 in 59,000 chance. This year in March Madness, this year in March Madness, zero perfect brackets were recorded on the second day of the first round. So, statistically, somebody coming to you and saying, hey, I'm going to die, and three days, or three days later, I'm going to rise again, that, the odds of that are what? Very, very highly, it happened once. I'll just tell you what the odds are. It happened once, over thousands of years. So you do the math. I don't even know, that is probably a bajillion. Like, the kids have it right there, right? The reality is that Jesus predicted it, but not only did he predict it, he did it. On the third day, we see, and that's reality is because Jesus is not just somebody. Jesus is God in the flesh. In Luke 24, look what happens here at the, in verse 1. On the first day of the week, at early dawn, they, that they there points us to verse 10, who is Mary Magdalene, Joanna, mother, the Mary, mother of James, and some other women. They went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. I found this to be so interesting. The women are going to the tomb expecting to find what? A dead body. They have spices to prepare the body for burial. Like, they didn't even believe that this was really going to take place. And he told them three times. It's like a child. When you tell your child three times to do something, that third time, though, we mean it. Right? Jesus told them three times, and here they are just traveling to the tomb with some spices, expecting to find a dead body. But guess what? To their and our amazement, there was no body. The tomb was empty. In fact, they're looking around like, what's going on here? And in verse 4, they were standing there perplexed about this. Would you not be perplexed? I think that's a great word. They were perplexed about this. And what happens? By God's grace, look what he sends to them. Two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. Now we know from other scriptures and from Luke, the end of Luke 24, these are angels. They stand before them. And they bowed their faces to the ground. The men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified. And on the third day rise, he said, hello. The angels are like, he did exactly what he told you he was going to do. Why are you coming with spices? He's not here. You don't look for the living among the dead. Because the living don't hang out among the dead. And look what the women do. I love this in verse 8. And they remember Jesus' words. They were like, oh yeah. Oh yeah, he did say that. that he was going to die and rise again. It happened. This is wonderful news. Now, why is that so important for us today? It wasn't enough that Jesus simply had to die for our sins. So we have to understand the fullness of the gospel. Number one, you and I need to recognize that we are sinful people. We are broken and messed up, and we cannot get to God on our own. So God, in His love and mercy for you and me, He sent His Son, Jesus, into the world. So we celebrate Christmas. And when Jesus came into the world, He came in born of a virgin, which means He had no sin. There was never any sin found in Jesus because he was fully God and fully man without sin. And the reason Jesus came without sin is so that he could go to a cross. And while he was on that cross, he paid for your sins and for my sins. Jesus became our sacrificial lamb who was without blemish. Jesus became our perfect sacrifice. And so God on the cross, he took 
the wrath that was reserved for our sin and he placed it on his sinless son. Jesus became our sin for us, taking the full penalty of God's wrath for what sin brought in. Now, the story doesn't end there. Because if it would end there, you'd be like, well, did it really happen? Was it really true? That's where the resurrection comes in. The empty tomb proves that Jesus did exactly what he set out to do. The resurrection proves that Jesus defeated our sin. The resurrection proves that Jesus has removed the sting of death. The resurrection proves that he has defeated the enemy. And the resurrection proves that he will give life to anyone who calls upon his name. You see, not only do we see Jesus in the resurrection, but when Jesus saves you, he takes you from death to infinite life. The resurrection proves that he gives life to those who put their faith in him. And at the end of this service, I'm going to give you a chance to do just that if you've never done it before. So the work of Jesus is very important. The resurrection proves that he has defeated our sin and death. So when Jesus said, I came to save the sinners. He really meant it. And he really did it through his work. Number two, the second reason is that the first witnesses were women. The first witnesses were women. So look here at the text on the third day. These women in verse 10, Mary Magdalene, Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them. They reckon they see the empty tomb. And what do they immediately do? They immediately go with them and told these things to the apostles. Their message was there is an empty tomb. Now, you might say, well, why is that a big deal? Why would you say that that is a reason to believe in the resurrection? Because here's the reality, sadly, is that in this time period, women were not looked at with high regard. Unfortunately, women were looked at in a less than superior status. In fact, there was a first century historian by the name of Josephus, and in his book, he writes this. He said, let not the testimony of women be admitted on account of the levity and boldness of their sex. Sadly, these women were looked at as inferior to others in their society. But Jesus reverses this view. Jesus actually comes and he says, no, actually, there's very much value and worth in women. In fact, what I'm going to do is I'm going to launch my message using their testimony. Nancy Piercy in her book, Love Thy Body, she says this, she said, the world desperately needs the biblical view of a woman's worth. And to that I say yes and amen. And Jesus shows us that. And that instead of presenting himself to the disciples, he presents himself to these women. And these women run and they begin to share the message. Here's the reality. If you're going to start a message about something, you want to use some credible sources, don't you? And Jesus is like, I can use any source. Do you know why Jesus can use any source? Because the tomb is empty. It's pretty hard to refute that, right? Like no matter who's bringing it to you, if the tomb is empty, the proof is in the pudding, as my grandmother used to say. So it'd be like this. Help me think with it with me, right? So let's say that Gatorade, Gatorade wants to come and they want to, they want to launch a new, a new energy or power drink. And they're like, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna put, uh, we wanna, we wanna really put some credibility behind this power drink that it, it brings you energy and, and you're able to do great things. Maybe even you could, if you're like five foot nine, you can even jump and dunk a basketball. You can literally be like Mike. Now, 
most likely what they're going to do to sell that product is they're going to give you who? Mike. Michael Jordan, right? Michael Jordan's going to show up and he's going to drink the Gatorade and he's going to dunk a basketball and everybody's going to be like, oh, look at the credibility. Now, what would happen if Gatorade came to Burnham, Texas and they're like, hey, Jeremy, um, we want you to be the, the spokesperson for our new Gatorade product. I'm like, yeah, okay, cool. What is, it, what is the product going to say? It's going to say, you want to be like Jeremy? You want to be a middle-aged, graying man who can barely get out of the bed in the morning because his body hurts from the Marine Corps days? Drink some Gatorade. Would that be a good credible testimony? Probably not. How many of you are buying that product besides me and my family? Because obviously it's a good deal for us. But what would happen? What would happen if it turned out to be true? What if all of a sudden I started drinking Gatorade and my beard started growing darker instead of gray? And I started having a little more pep in my step and I started playing basketball with my kids and I went out and dunked on a 10 foot goal. Would you buy the product then? Yes, you would. Don't look at me all spiritual. You know, you would go out and buy that product today. That's exactly what Jesus does here. He's like, I can use the testimony of anybody. You know why I can use the testimony of anybody? Because I have arisen. I have arisen indeed. I am alive and I am sitting at the right hand of my father right now. Now you might be thinking to yourself, well, how did that work out? What, what if somebody stole his body? I get it. Like we're skeptics in America and we don't believe anything, Right. And so how would you believe that? How would you truly believe that the tomb is empty? How do you know somebody didn't tamper with the tomb? And I'm glad you asked. I'm glad you asked. Because the Bible actually records for us what happened. Did you know in Matthew's account, in Matthew's account, there was uh, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they knew that Jesus was getting put into a tomb. And so they went together and they said, hey, what we're going to do is we're going to put some guards in front of the tomb to prevent anybody from stealing the body. Now, when Jesus rises from the grave... They're like, what are we going to do with their story? So listen to what the religious leaders do to the guards in Matthew 28, verse 11. It says, while they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. So they, these guards run in. They're like, okay, um, he's alive. Just the tomb is empty. Just want you to know that, chief priest. We were guarding and the tomb is empty. And so the chief priests assemble all the elders, take counsel, and this is what they end up, this is their decision. They gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears that you're lying, then we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. And look what the guards do. They took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews even to this day. Now think about that for a moment. You're a guard. You're a guard. You've seen the resurrection of Jesus, the empty tomb. You go to your chief priest and chief priest is like, hey, here's some money. We want you to lie. But think of the lie. We want you to tell people that you were bad at your job. Like you were not a good guard. You were supposed to stand guard and you fell asleep and the disciples came and stole the body. Like that doesn't sound very good for you as a guard. You're not going to go be like, hey, um... I'm for hire, by the way. Does anybody need me to guard your family? Because I'll fall asleep and somebody might take them. That's, that's not a good career move. I mean, honestly, if I was a guard, I would say, can we change the story a bit? They're like, yeah, what do you want to change the story to? I'd be like, let's pretend that a hundred disciples showed up, right? With clubs and fire. And I fought 90 of them. 
Yes, yes, I did. I fought 90 of them all by myself, but I got so tired that the other 10 beat me, knocked me out, tied me up, and then stole the body. Doesn't that sound like a better lie? These guys are like, yeah, let's do that. Let's just say we're bad guards. I, I just find this just so amazing that the idea is that they couldn't even bring themselves to tell the truth that the tomb was empty. And the reality is that the, the people who were in leadership position were doing whatever they could to cover up the reality that the tomb was empty. They couldn't do it, though. Do you know all that they needed to do to prove that Jesus wasn't resurrected? Show the body. But guess what? They couldn't. They never could. And they never will. Because Jesus is alive and in heaven waiting until he returns. Once again, proving That Jesus did exactly what he was going to do. That the witness of everybody is credible because the tomb is still empty today. Number three. The witnesses of the resurrection became bold. The witnesses of the resurrection became bold. I think that's proof number three. So let's think about Peter for a moment. Peter's one of my favorite apostles. All right, not as not, Paul's my all-time favorite. Okay, Peter's third. John's number two. All right, but uh, Peter shows up, and when Peter is in, uh, Jesus is being crucified. They come up to Peter and like, "Hey, Peter, weren't you one of his people? Weren't you one of his acquaintances? Weren't you one of his disciples?" And Peter's like, mm, "I didn't know that guy." And three times Peter denies Jesus while he's being crucified. But then guess what happens? Jesus meets the resurrected Jesus, or excuse me, Peter meets the resurrected Jesus. And when Peter met the resurrected Jesus, everything in his life changed. Everything in his life changed. In Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit falls upon the people of God praying, the very first sermon recorded in the New Testament, guess who said it? Peter. The same guy who was denying Jesus is now proclaiming Jesus to thousands. And what was one of the key elements of his preaching message? Listen, this is what he says in Acts chapter 2. This Jesus God raised up. And of that we are all witnesses. Peter says, I'm coming to you now with boldness. I was a coward, but now I am emboldened. Why? Because I have seen the resurrected Jesus. And because of the resurrected Jesus, I'm going to proclaim him no matter what it costs. And you know what? It costs Peter a lot to follow Jesus. Just like it costs us a lot to follow Jesus. In fact, there's one scene in Peter's life where Peter and the apostles are preaching. And as Peter and the apostles are preaching, they come to him and they put him in prison and they begin to beat and flog the disciples. And they tell them, disciples, Peter, you better stop preaching this name, Jesus. Peter's like, "Mm -mm, I am definitely not not preaching his name. I'd rather serve God than men. And then guess what they do? As they leave the people, after they leave being suffered and beaten, this is what the Bible records for us. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. That's what resurrection does. 
That's the hope and the boldness and the confidence that the resurrection gives to Jesus' disciples. He says, I'll never stop preaching that name no matter what you do to me. Because my hope is not in what you do to me. My hope is the one who is no longer in that tomb. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. Jesus changes our lives. And the resurrection is proof that our lives can be changed through Jesus. Paul says that without the resurrection, our faith is futile. It's worthless. But because of the resurrection, we have a new way of doing life, no matter the cost. Because we have the hope and the confidence that one day Jesus will also resurrect us from the grave. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. This is the beauty of the gospel. Once again, the gospel says you and I are dead in our trespasses. and We belong in the grave. As one of my professors used to say, we don't belong. We belong in the garden, not the grave. And Jesus came to turn everything back around. Jesus came to make everything new, to make everything right. And the resurrection proves that he is now beginning and in the stages of transforming until one day he returns and everything's going to be put back right. And the reality is Jesus is calling out to you saying the power of the resurrection can live with you if you put your faith in him. And he's going to take you from being dead and bringing you back to life. Today, you will find life and life abundantly in the one who is alive today. So what do we do with a message like this? There's two responses that I want you to have today. Number one, number one, if you are here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus, my prayer is that you are like Augustine right now. That the Holy Spirit is convicting, that he is removing the scales, that he is opening your eyes to say, with full certainty, this message that Jeremy has just preached must be true. Those reasons are really good reasons to believe in the resurrection. Those reasons are really good reasons to believe in Jesus who took my sin and offers me new life this morning. Jesus is wanting you today to have boldness like Peter and to reach out by faith and trust in the work of this Jesus that I have shared with you. And then watch out. Watch out because Jesus is going to change your life. You don't believe me? Come talk to some of our partners who have seen the testimony of Jesus' resurrection in their own lives. Today, by God's grace, he is, he is calling you in this room who haven't believed to turn from your sins and believe. If you ask, Jeremy, what must I do to be saved? I'll tell you what Peter said. Repent and be baptized, every single one of you, in the name of Jesus, and then go and sin no more. Jesus offers that to you today. So at the end of this sermon, what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you to be bold like Peter. If today's the day you're saying, Jeremy, I want to put my faith in this Jesus who you've talked about. I want to trust in his work, have my sins erased, have my life new, and live for all eternity with him. Then what I want you to do is two things, one of two things. Have the boldness to come talk to me when I close this sermon down. Or number two, my phone number is on this screen right there. And you text me ready to 512-964-2232. Say, Jeremy, today I am ready to give my life to Jesus. What do I need to do? Text me right now if you're bold enough to do it. If you're bold enough to give your life to Jesus. But number two, what about for you, the believers in this room? How does the resurrection impact our lives? First off, if you're a believer, do you believe the resurrection is true? You can shake. It's an interactive church. How does that impact you? I think it impacts us in two ways. Number one, number one, it causes us to live in the newness of life. You see, we live in that resurrection power. 
We live for Jesus. When we put our faith in Jesus, Jesus gives us new life. He says, you're dead in your trespasses and sins. Now I have made you alive together in Christ. Now go and make disciples. Now go and devote your entire life to me. As the resurrection proves, if he is alive and he is creating within us, he is stirring within us new life. That's what Paul says. When I baptize people, I always say, buried with the likeness of his death, raised to walk in the newness of life. So as a Christian, the resurrection means that it's your turn to now walk in the newness of life that Jesus has given to you. This means you battle with your sins. This means you fight against your addictions. This means you live a holy life for Jesus. This means you proclaim. This means you devote your life. This means you devote your family. This means you devote your time, your talents, your treasures. You devote everything to him because he is worth it. But here's how I'll challenge you a step further. Not only is God going to change your life, the resurrection changes the way that you witness. Jesus gives you the power to go and tell people the good news of Jesus. You tell them we don't just celebrate a risen Savior on Easter Sunday. Oh, no, no, no. We celebrate a risen Savior every day. And that risen Savior wants you to join him as well. Listen, that might cost you greatly. It might cost you a lot to take the gospel in fact, one of our prayers here at Center Church is that not only will we be a church who's about planting churches, but we are a church about sending missionaries. And maybe God is calling you to go. And let me tell you something. The hardest places in the world right now are the hardest places to reach with the gospel. They will be hostile and you may lose your life. So how does the resurrection speak to the cost of taking the gospel to the nations? Well, I'm glad you asked again. Listen to what Paul says about the resurrection. Paul says that the resurrection provides us with the hope we need to take the gospel, even if it costs us our life, because this death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? In other words, the resurrection, the resurrection means we no longer fear death. The resurrection, we no longer have a sting of death because we know for the believer that when I die, I'm going to be living again. Nancy Wright says this is life after life after death. That for the, for the believer, when we step through death's door, we are actually stepping into eternal life, never ending. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's the beauty of the resurrection. The resurrection has removed the sting of death. Think of it like this. Did you know that a honeybee dies after it stings a human being? I looked it up actually online. Read some honeybee articles. Then I started getting YouTube things like, hey, do you want to start a honeybee nest in your house? I'm like, no, stop watching me. I'm just kidding. That really didn't happen. But they probably are watching. Whoever they are. But anyway, I looked it up. Scientists say that a honeybee dies after it stings a human being. Because on the end of a honeybee's barb is a barb on the end of the stinger. And so what happens is when a honeybee stings our skin, the barb gets stuck into the skin. And so what happens is when the honeybee flies away, the barb can't get free from the skin because our skin's too thick. And so it disembowels the bee and the bee goes off and suffers an excruciating death. You know what that reminds me of? It's exactly what Jesus did to death. 
Jesus disemboweled the sting of death for us. And the resurrection proves that we don't fear death no more. I don't fear when I close my eyes and breathe my last because I'm going to open them and see King Jesus and live forever and ever again. I have life after life after death. This is why Paul says for me to live is Christ, but to die is what? Gain. When you die as a believer, you gain eternal life. Isn't that wonderful? So if that's what you gained, then it shouldn't, you shouldn't think of it as a severe cost to take the gospel to the nations. You know why? Because without Jesus, they don't have that freedom. Without Jesus, they are still in their sins. Without Jesus, they do not have life eternal to come. They have eternal damnation. The resurrection gives us power and boldness to be the presence and the witness of the gospel to others. Even if it costs us our life. Athanasius, one of the early church fathers, he talked about this. And I think this is a sentence or a quote that I want to leave you with today. When you think about how the resurrection impacts your life right now as a believer. Athanasius writes, but now that the Savior has raised his body, death is no longer terrible. But all those who believe in Christ tread it underfoot at nothing and prefer to die rather than deny their faith in Christ, knowing full well that when they die, they don't perish. They live indeed and become incorruptible through the resurrection. Brothers and sisters, is that your life? Is that what the resurrection has done for you? Has it given you power to overcome the sins but to proclaim the good news of Jesus, no matter the cost. In other words, in light of the resurrection, are you fully devoted to Jesus? So here's what I want you to do. If that's you today, maybe you're sitting here and you're like, Jeremy, you know what? Ah, I'm not walking with Jesus like I should. Maybe you're feeling that stirring and conviction. Here's what I want to do. I'm going to have Kyle. He's going to stand in that back while we get ready to take communion Kyle's our certified counselor, pastor on staff. And he didn't know that I was going to do this, but I just feel led to do it. So, Kyle, welcome. And he's going to go stand in the back. And if that's you today, he's like, you just say, Pastor Kyle, listen. I'm not living my life in light of the beauty of the resurrection. Would you pray for me right now? And let him pray over you. And as he prays over you, then you go back to your seat and you prepare to, to take the Lord's Supper. But if you're here today and you're saying, Jeremy, today I'm ready I am ready to give my life to Jesus. Then you don't forget to text that number. You come see me right after. So I'm going to invite our worship team back up. I'm going to invite Kyle to the back. I'm going to go stand back there in the back right. Kyle's going to stand in the back left. If you need us to talk to you about anything that the Holy Spirit is doing with you right now, come, come talk to us. I'm going to pray in a few moments. But what I'm also going to do for everybody in this room is I'm going to invite those who are serving the Lord's table to come up right now. So we have four tables set up here. You spend some time with the Lord. You come talk to me at Kyle if you need to. But if you're, if you're ready, you, you have trusted and put your faith in Jesus. You are a born-again believer. You're in good standing with your church. Then we want to take this moment also to invite you to the table. So everybody's going to come down the center aisle. All right? If it gets backed up in the middle, then go to the outsides and we're going to all go back around. And what we're doing today is this is a symbol of our faith. This is a symbol of our belief in the resurrected Jesus. The body and the blood that was spilled for you, the empty tomb is still empty. 
Now, this is only for believers. So if you have not put your faith in Jesus today, we ask you not to approach the table. Not because we want to ostracize you. Not because we're trying to point you out or make fun of you. But because this is really important to us. This is a symbol of our faith. And if that's you this morning, you say, well, Jeremy, I'm ready to text ready. And then the next time we come to the table, I want to come as a brother or sister in Christ with you. Because I believe in the message that Jesus on the cross broke his body and spilled his blood and on the third day rose again. So that's your three options. Kyle, me, or you come to the table and you have a seat. Hold the elements in your hand. Pray. Examine yourself. And then I will come and lead us together as a corporate body in the time of communion. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for that empty tomb. The power, the power of God to overcome sin and death. Defeat our enemies and bring us new life. You take dead things and you make them You turn them into life. You've done it in me. You've done it in many in this room. But Lord, if there is one here today who has not put their faith in Jesus, I pray today is the day that they would be bold like Peter and have the blinders removed like Augustine. For the rest of us, Lord, may we truly examine ourselves. Do we live each day knowing that the resurrection is true? Knowing that we have been given new life in Christ? And doing whatever it takes to get the gospel to as many people as possible without fearing death or suffering. May we count it joy. And we count it joy to suffer in the name of Jesus. Because we have clinged to the one who is ruling and reigning and alive today. And seated at your right hand. So Father, you work. You work in only ways that you can. For the glory of your name. And the advancement.